been talking about our values as a church a little bit, and uh, last week I, I was talking about how we develop as individuals, how God has called us to be fruitful. And uh, I want to re- just take a moment here and review the five values I talk about as a, uh, with people that are joining the church or new to us. And once in a while, it's good to review as well as a congregation. We, we talk about what we're all about in terms of authenticity. We want to keep it real. We talk about generosity as a value that we have. We want to give like Jesus gave. Jesus gave everything for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of his people. And we want to have the same kind of mindset. We talk about commitment. Uh, Jesus was committed to the church. He walked out the journey that God laid out and even laying down his life. He was that committed uh, to seeing this kingdom expand and God's people set free. We value development. We're all on a journey of growth. We all need to be growing from day to day and week to week and year to year, from one season of life to another. God has us developing, growing, growing, first of all, in relationship with Him, connection with Him, prayer, and God leading us. And and we grow, we become more mature. The Bible talks a lot about coming into maturity or becoming fruitful. So we are a people that's in development all the time, and we value that development because it's part of our mission. And that is what I've been talking about in recent weeks and we'll continue to this week and next week. The last value we have is family. We want to relate as a family in a multi-generational family. And I told you last week, and I say this a lot, and I hear this from a lot of people that just visit the church. They love looking around and seeing the variety of the generations represented here. That's a value to us. It takes all of us. It takes the grandmas and grandpas all the way down to the little kids for the kingdom of God to grow. And so we really value multi-relational family. We talked about this passage in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. We looked at the idea that we have to have vision if we're going to develop. We have to see that there's possibility for growth. We have to see that it's necessary that we grow, and the Bible instructs us in that direction. If we don't have vision... If we don't have revelation or understanding from God and his word that we are called to be fruitful and grow, then we get discouraged and we get off track and we lose our way. So it's very important that we have vision for our own development as individuals. But it's also, as we will talk about today, very important that collectively as the church, we also have vision for our future and for our development. Today I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'll spend the first part of my message talking out of the scriptures as I normally do, and that's typically how we approach it. But I also want to take care of some family business today. Uh, just here we are at the first of the year. I want to reflect on last year a little bit. I want to talk about some of the vision for the next year and inspire you in a general sense about the vision of the big worldwide church as well. But we have to have vision. We have to understand how is God leading us? What is he saying? What does his word teach us? We talked last week about going and making disciples of all nations. When Jesus ascended into heaven, this is the command he gave. This is the mission. And sometimes we have to stop and take seriously what this says and reflect and say, am I playing a part in the making of disciples? And sometimes we can look at this in a very formal way, but most discipleship comes through natural relationships we have, natural connections that God has orchestrated into our lives. When you're raising your kids, you're discipling them. When you're with a coworker who is, maybe isn't even a believer yet, but you're representing Christ, there's a learning going on. There's an understanding being developed. We are called to make disciples of all. That word nations doesn't necessarily mean geographical boundaried places. It's talking about people groups. 
that all types of people would be made into disciples. This is our mission as a church. So I told you last week, as, as a leader in the church, when I'm considering our development and whether or not we're developing as a church, I'm considering our vision statement back here about living the mission. What am I thinking of when I see those words? I'm thinking of this. God gave us all mission. He gave us all chores to do on the family farm, if you will. We've got a part to play. And so then we take time and we reflect, have I developed? Are we developing as a church? Today I want to dive into, oops, I skipped one there, I think. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Again, another commonly used passage around here that we look at very regularly. But Jesus in his interaction with Peter Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus says to him, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, that word build, it brings up ideas of development. If you're laying the foundation for a house or a commercial building, it's being developed. Even before you dig that hole to pour that foundation, you're thinking about the plan and what it's going to look like. You can visualize. That's what an architect helps us do. Draws the pictures so we can see what's coming. Jesus said, I will build my church. He has a vision for something to develop and grow. And it's going to be so powerful, so effective, so significant that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but if I stop and take those words seriously, that motivates me. I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of something that's so powerful and effective that even the gates of death or hell do not prevail against the work, the growth, the development of the church. Jesus loves the church. The church is Jesus' plan for the world. And so when we're taking, uh, a t- taking time to reflect and taking inventory of recent seasons and then looking ahead to our future development, this needs to be in our minds that Jesus is building us. Are we letting him build? Are we opening ourselves up to how he wants to grow us, how he wants to change us? If we want to develop, we have to have a foundation that's in God's word, as we just saw. We want to take that big picture vision and begin to apply it to ourselves. So there's vision for our lives in the Word of God. You can look at that and go, but that's so big picture, it doesn't apply to me, JR. And I'm telling you, it does apply to you. It has meaning for you as an individual. So when Jesus gave that command to his disciples, make disciples of all nations, he's talking to you. You also have a part to play. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't freak out about it. But just go to God and say, God, what is my part to play in that development process. We need to take time and reflect and evaluate our growth and fruitfulness. We looked last week, it's God's mandate, it's it's his intention that mankind be fruitful. Remember, in the beginning, first command to mankind, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it, have dominion. That's not just reproducing children, that's about stewarding all of creation and causing it to be something that flourishes. But we know that man stumbles in sin and it becomes broken. And when we live out of joint with God and his way, things don't work the way we want them to work. But we are ambassadors of the new creation that's coming. God will make the heavens and the earth new through the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I are representatives of that message on the earth. Even today we have a deposit of that new creation here today in our lives They're recreated. So the church is a church of action. I don't think you can talk about church without thinking action. Why? Gates don't move, do they? Our former pastor, Brian Acey, would say this all the time. The gates don't prevail. 
Are the gates advancing on us? Or do gates sit in a stationary spot? Who's doing the storming of the gates here? The church. The church is coming up. It's taking action towards something. To overcome something. To overcome condemnation and death. That's the mission of the church. And so when we're thinking about the church, we have to think in terms of action. I want to reflect on just a couple passages here very simply. But it's in the Word of God. We, if we look with eyes towards what is the role of the church, what is, the, is there action? Is, that, is the church just something where we come together and have a meeting? Oh, no, no, no. It's so, so much more than a meeting. It's so much more than a building. It's a group of people that's developing and taking action in the world to see the world transformed with the message of the gospel. Because when the message of the gospel comes into people's lives, they can't help but be transformed. That's, it's so powerful what we have. And so Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 16.1, just a little observation here. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. Okay, what, what am I drawing out of this? I mean, there is a specific situation. Paul is collecting an offering that he's going to take, uh, I think, to Jerusalem in this case. But, he, but he's giving them instructions about it, but he's directing the church. That group of people, he wants the whole group of people to do something. The church is a church of action. The church of the Bible is active. God's intention for the church is that it would be fruitful, and Paul is giving instructions to whole groups of people. So Paul might, you know, if Paul were alive today, he could come here and he could say, Mount Helena Community Church, I want you to do such and such. And we'd probably take his advice because he's Paul, right? He's not just going to come to JR and say, JR, you're the leader of the church, so I want you to do. But he's actually saying, whole church, do something. Take up an offering for the saints in Judea. I'm pretty sure that's what this was. I could be wrong. Let's look at another passage, 1 Thessalonians 2.14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Maybe that's what I'm confusing it with. For you suffered the same things for your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he's encouraging them about persecution. But look at what he's saying. Imitators of the churches. The church is something to imitate. One church can look at another church and imitate what they're doing because they're an example. We're examples to other churches. Other churches are examples to us. Collectively, that requires effort on everyone's part. This church isn't my church. This isn't JR's church. It isn't the elder's church. It's Jesus' church, but it's your church. It's all of us. People come in here sometimes and talk to me like I'm a business owner and this is my business. Like I built it or something. Like that isn't how this works. This is family. This is a group of people who are called together to live a mission together. Each one bringing who they are in a unique way to the process. You know, some to greater extents than us. I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and sell all your stuff and come live in our parking lot so I can put you to work. But each one of us, in our own unique way, in our everyday lives, in the very places you live and work and and do your activities, that's where disciples are made. That's where the mission is lived. Anyway, all this to draw attention to these passages about the church as a church of action, the whole church, not just individuals in the church. Paul's talking to them collectively. Here we see the church in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 46, they devoted themselves. Who's they? The church. All of the people. The the church exploded in one day. Thousands of people became the church in an instant on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came 
Acts chapter 2. And what did that church do? How did that church take action? It starts out like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And here we are today listening to teaching. We're looking at the Word of God. We're learning together. And to fellowship, what is that? That's friendship. It's doing life together. It's having relationship. It's communication, conversation, encouragement, those kind of things. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. A sense of awe came over everyone. And the the apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they shared with anyone who was in need. So you begin to, if you can really visualize this, you can see that they're coming together corporately, doing something corporately that's making a huge difference. And we know that within a generation, most of the known world had heard the gospel. By the time Paul died, the gospel had spread all throughout up into Rome. And of course, Rome was a center of that part of the world at the time, most of the known world at the time. Very, very powerful thing happened when the church was united and taking action to live that mission. With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts. Temple courts, big place. They came together as a big group. And to break bread from house to house. Small groups. Why do we do? We, we, you know, it's not all going to happen right here. You're not going to build long-term relationships just saying howdy to somebody on a Sunday morning. There's got to be more to it. There's got to be real day-to-day life throughout the week. That's why we do small groups as well. And we see that example in the Bible. They got together. They shared their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was fruitful. When we see that command to the church to be fruitful, we see that the the very first days of the church were very fruitful. People were giving their lives to Christ on a regular basis because this powerful movement is taking place in Jerusalem. You and I are of the same heritage, the same God, the same mission, the same sacrifice. Challenges all of us to play a part in that growth of the church and of the gospel. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us rejoice. And this is, a, this is a futuristic picture, a prophetic word, if you will. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now the Bible often uses marriage to describe the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ. There's a union there of the Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb, and his bride, The church has what? Made, there's action, made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure. Can you imagine this? We're talking about a wedding situation, a description of Jesus and his church, and his church being the the bride. But here's the thing. Do you see the action word here? Made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. Where do we get the word action? From an act, something we do. When we do something, there's action. It's an act. What is this fine linen that the bride has dressed herself in? Her work. She works. The church is designed to work, to produce something, to develop and to grow. Then the angel told me to write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I'm hoping 
that perhaps I'm giving you some things to consider and to think about and to put into your understanding about who God is and about who the church is, and that ultimately that might prompt you to make some decisions towards action in your life and in the life of the church. We're a body. We're a family. We grow together. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows. It grows. The body grows. And we talked about this last week. How did you grow in the last year? Did you grow like this? That's not the kind of body we're talking about. We're talking about being healthy and growing in Christ, becoming more fruitful, bearing fruit. We're, we're not called to just independent, individualistic relationships with God that have nothing to do with each other. It's wonderful to sit by yourself in the early morning and read your Bible and have the presence of God and God minister to you. That's right and good. You should do that. But that's not all there is to, the, to life with God. We're called corporately. We're called to be fruitful corporately because we're a body. We grow and we build ourselves up. How do you do that? It's a great question. We could probably do a whole series on just that. How do we build ourselves up? The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. What did he do? He took action to encourage himself when he was struggling in a difficult situation. We're called to build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. Every one of us is called to develop, and we're called to develop together. Okay, I want to begin to shift gears here in what I'm sharing with you this morning. hope that you're provoked and, and motivated, but I want to start moving towards a little bit more Mount Helena Community Church-specific communication this morning. And we do, we value authenticity and and keeping it real. And so I, I'm going to just be sharing some details with you. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's a little different maybe than nor- a normal message, but I think it's so important that we collectively understand uh, where we are and where we're headed. You know, if you are uh, many, you know, the history in Montana in our area, a lot of ranchers coming in, um, and some of you are connected with that lifestyle. You know what that's like. And it's a family business. Maybe you were a part of a, another type of family business. And in a lot of ways, that's what we are as the body of Christ. Our Father has given us family business to do. And we have to pay attention to what that actually is. So in Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 23, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. See, God values stewardship. Sometimes we kind of wonder if the life with Christ is just sort of floating on a little spiritual cloud from thing to thing and, and not doing anything administratively or structurally or anything of order, but that doesn't line up with the story of the gospel at all. And it doesn't line up with the teaching of Scripture. The Scripture is full of wisdom for us about how to be fruitful. And we need to give careful attention to our flocks. We need to pay attention to what's going on in our lives as individuals. And then we would do this with our family, right? you got a family budget you got to keep. Or you teach your children about certain things. We're looking at, you know, just like a, a farm operation or something like that. 
In some ways, we can think about the church that way. We need to give careful attention to it. And we ask ourselves, how's it going? Is it fruitful and multiplying? How do we get there if we aren't achieving what we want to achieve? Or as fruitful as we think we would like to be or should be? Know the conditions of your flock. Pay attention. John chapter 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. How many of you would like to see much fruit? Okay, we're going to need a lot more than that. We're going to need everybody. And I know that I'm talking about these things and we can kind of go, Jerry, you're just talking idealism and I love the Bible and I think it's true, but I just don't. Listen, we've we got to integrate this into our mindset. It's got to become something we actually believe and hope for and take action towards. I told you last week about revival. I'd love to see revival. But God's not going to throw a bunch of fish into a net that he knows is going to break. He loves his children too much. I want to prepare. I want to continue to become who God's called us to become so more and more people can reap the benefits of what God is doing in our community. But that takes an adjustment of mindset. So how do we grow? You know, there's a lot of ways we can evaluate whether or not we're being fruitful. I mean, we can look at simple things like, okay, we got a room full of people. That's great. That's fruitfulness. People got up this morning and chose to come here. At least most of you did. Some of you were drug here, kicking and screaming, I'm sure. People get up in the morning, they choose to come. That's heartwarming to me. Seeing all your faces in these chairs today, that makes me go, okay, people want to worship together. They want to fellowship. They want to learn from the word. That encourages me. That's fruitfulness. But there's also very intangible ways of describing fruitfulness as well. Perhaps you grew in something this year. Your theology or your thinking, perhaps you were able to uh, trust God more for something. There, there are both tangible and intangible ways we would talk about fruitfulness. We would look at activities that are going on. We would look at things that we've learned, places where we've experienced healing in our lives. There's fruitfulness there when the power of God has moved and we found freedom in some way, whether it's through physical healing or overcoming addiction or finally getting to a point where we could forgive somebody we desperately needed to forgive. I was so blessed last week, a woman shared with me that during the message, she realized that God was challenging her to forgive somebody in her life, and it rocked her. I'm like, thank you, God. The power of the Spirit moves on us to be fruitful. Are we listening and paying attention to those things? We increase in grace. There's, an, there's a thing that sometimes is tangible and sometimes is intangible that we're growing in the grace of God. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, if I put myself under that spout, like I'm taking a shower, this abundance of God's grace coming upon me so that having all sufficiency, oh man, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Oh, it's the W word. There have been whole movements of Christianity that have abandoned the idea that work is a part of our life. No, we are called to work. We're called to work hard. We're called to produce. We're called to be fruitful. And yes, there is a danger of becoming a workaholic or a legalist in those things. 
But once we've realized that, it's time to work. But he, see, he's saying that God's grace leads you in that. So we grow in God's grace, and he gives us the sufficiency. I'm guessing that if you're thinking about things that you could be doing in the kingdom, the next insecure thought that enters your mind is, I'm insufficient. I don't really have what it takes. I'm too weak. I don't have the creativity. I don't have the position. I don't have et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But God's grace makes you sufficient. You are sufficient to do exactly what God has called you to do. You are not insufficient. You are enough. You are what he designed. You are what he wants. You are who he's going to use to accomplish his purposes. The sufficiency of God by his grace to do all th- in all things at all times, abounding in every good work. This is what the church is called to, every good work. So many things. Churches are called to be fruitful, and you guys, we're f- there's fruitfulness amongst us. Are we taking the time to recognize the fruit, to look at the productivity? Or are we taking a moment to go, okay, I need to make some adjustments as well. I have a book that I wanted to read a little bit out of it to you today. I've had it for many years. Um, it's, it's a little bit interesting title. It's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rainer. Tom does a lot of research. He does a lot of church coaching type stuff. I've really appreciated his stuff over the years. But in this book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and remember, we're talking about the development of the church. Where's the church at? How's the church doing? Where's the church going? Where's our church going? Those kinds of things. And so when in thinking about that, I would look at some of these examples that he has in here just as kind of something to bounce, bounce off of a little bit and look at and see what he has to say. But I... There is some disturbing um, comments in here that he makes, and I hope that we take seriously this mission, take seriously that you are somebody in the kingdom. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to go be a missionary in China necessarily. Some of you, maybe God's called that. But really, it's a lot of it's just our day-to-day lives recognizing opportunities in the simple things in life. Anyway, there's a number of Uh, common threads. He worked with 14 different churches that closed their doors. And he writes basically a report on it and what he found. And there's so many things in here and it's kind of depressing. So don't get depressed, all right? Because I'm not saying this is us. I'm just saying this is a lesson, something to think about and consider as we grow as a church. The autopsy, the common thread. This this, chapter is called The Past his hero. It's one of the main things. Here he says, the most pervasive and common thread of our autopsies, in other words, the reviews of these churches that have died, was that the deceased churches lived for a long time with the past as hero. How many of you wish it was the good old days? You don't want to raise your hand now after I said that, do you? (laughs) But we do that. We look back on a season of our lives where God rocked our world. God did something amazing. Maybe it was the phase where you got saved in that first generation church that you were in. Man, that was awesome, wasn't it? Man, remember when God did this or God did that? But the problem is if the past becomes the hero, it's a sign of a dying church. They held on more tightly with each progressive year. They often clung to things of the past with desperation and fear. 
And when any internal or external force tried to change the past, they responded with anger and resolution, we will die before we change. And they did. Very sad. But whole churches can do this. Maybe you've been a part of a church like that. It's a great reminder to you and I to consider the vitality of the Word of God and what it actually calls us to do and be, and be willing to let go. We, we respect the past. We learn from the past. We, we just look back with great fondness and celebrate the awesome moments. But we can't live in the past, and you can't recreate the past. We're not going to recreate the charismatic movement. God wants to take us to the next thing growing a, a, a maturity amongst his church so he can do the next thing, so he can reach more people. And we have to celebrate and we have to keep going. I want to read a story he shares, an example. Do you know the, the name Harry Truman? Let me, let me be more clear. Do you know the name Harry Randall Truman? No, he was not a former president. He was a homeowner at the foot of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. In 1980, the volcanic mountain was showing signs of a major eruption. Indeed, one expert declared that the chance of a major eruption was virtually 100%. Truman's home was located at the south end of Spirit Lake at the foot of the mountain. He was living in the most likely path of the volcanic flow. He was facing almost certain death. Governmental officials implored him to leave. Friends told him that his his failure to move was tantamount to suicide. Family members begged him to leave lest he die. On May 18th, 1980, the massive eruption took place. The lava flowed right in the projected path of Truman's home. On May 18th, 1980, Harry Randall Truman died. He just could not let go of his home, even if it meant certain death. So what did the deceased churches cling to? What did they refuse to let go of facing certain death? Worship styles were certainly on the list, as were fixed orders of worship services, and times of worship services. Some stubbornly held on to buildings and rooms, particularly if that room or building was a memorial named for one of the members of the past. Some would not accept any new pastor except that one pastor, that one pastor who served 30 years ago. But more than any one item, these dying churches focused on their own needs instead of others. They focused on their own needs instead of the needs of others. There's such a consumer mentality in our society, you guys. And it very subtly and subversively works its way into our conscience about the church. About the church. Their highest priorities were the way they've always done it. And that which made them the most comfortable. It was not just the past they revered. It was their personal good old days. So unlike the heroes of Hebrews 11 who held on to nothing of this life, these dying churches held on to everything, at least everything that made them comfortable and happy. Such is the reason we speak of them in the past. They were warned. They were facing certain death. They saw every sign, but like Harry Randall Truman, they preferred death to change, and death is what they got. Man, that's a sobering reminder. There's piles of them in, the, in this book uh, by Rayner, but it's a, it's a great thing for us to stop and think about and go, okay, are we... As a leader, I'm thinking, are we designing the church so that it just makes people happy and comfortable? I mean, I want them happy. I want them comfortable. But we also got to take action. We also got to grow. We got to develop personally. We got to reach our community. We got fruitfulness that God has for us that we want to walk in. So then we have to stop and reflect and go, what makes the most sense for others? 
How do we serve others? We, we did two services a few years ago. We grew like crazy right before COVID. You know, why do we do that? Because we were making more room for people. Look around this room. Are we going to stay comfortable? I'm not saying we're going to two services. It's just an example. We do things like that in order to serve others. But when we go, but this is about my comfort. It's about me being happy. I wish you'd have the services at nine. How many would like us to have the services at nine? It's okay to be honest. I'm not changing it. But just so you know, you'd rather have it earlier. Yeah, so you can get on with your day. Well, we decided this was the best to encompass everybody. Thank you for making a sacrifice and coming an hour later. I really do appreciate that. Now let's reach more people. You know, I, there's just, there's stuff to it, you know? We got we to gotta think this way. We got to operate that way. Okay, I want to get into some detail here. I'm probably going to go over a little bit today, but I can't, this can't wait till next week. So I, I wanted to share some details with you more specifically in, in my reflection I'm letting you into my world and behind the curtain a little bit and thinking about the last year as I evaluate where the church is at and where the church is going. Some things I think about that maybe help you. I'd, I'd take some time and I would, I would reflect. Um, I'm sorry, I have this. I have to go through this. This is just so intriguing to me. In talking about the health of the church, I just want to reflect on something as the church as a whole. And this, this research was recently done by LifeWay Research. And you know I'm a nerd and I love statistics and thinking about things because it helps me understand and think about where we are. 39% of Americans see pastors as honest. I suddenly feel not so good about myself. <laughs> I hope that number's a little higher in here. What does that tell me, though? Society, thanks, Harvey. You trust me. That's good. At least Mostly. Not with the best hunting and fishing spots, but other than that. What does that tell me about society? How does America feel about the church? Did the Bible instruct us to be of good reputation in our communities, to work with our people, to reach people? Yeah, they aren't always going to. Not everybody's going to like you, but we need to make an honest effort. Only 39% of Americans see pastors honest. Only 37% of Americans have confidence in the church. In 1976, that was 68%. What happened in the last 45, 50 years? 70% of churches have 100 or fewer. 70% of churchgoers attend a service of 250 or more. Median attendance is 65. That means 50% of churches are less than 65 people. That means only 30% are over 250. It was 137 in the year 2000. Dramatic reduction in church attendance all over the United States. Do we have our work cut out for us? Yes, we do. That's eh, just the world, JR. It's going to hell in a handbasket. It's just the way it's going to be. Sorry. I read the book of Acts, and that's not what I read. That's not what I see. That's not God's vision for the church. It's not my vision for the church. It's something completely the opposite. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail, won't be able to resist, won't withstand the power of the gospel. Anyway, good information. I'm just going to go through this fairly quickly. One of the things I wanted to celebrate with you was financially. Last year, uh, about $70,000 was sown in generosity into missions and missions work. That's a significant, that's awesome. That's a lot of money that we were able to sow into. Do you realize how many thousands of people are being trained and impacted by the gospel because of people like Paul Simpson? 
regions beyond, Donna Bloomfield, Clem Ferris, these people are out there reaching people all over the world. They're significant groups that we sow into. So you guys, good job on that generosity. Way to sow into those people. Way to see that reproduction all over the world. That's a great thing to celebrate. We paid down 77000 on principal of our mortgages last year. That's a win. Our marriage and family ministry started kicking off some outreaches towards the end of last year. Jeff and, and the team. Man, that's awesome. I want to celebrate that. Well done, Jeff and team. I'll give them a hand. You know who you are, right? This is exciting. There are good things in development. Last year, our small groups, we had lots of different small groups, a lot of variety, a lot of participation. We, we started those go groups, and they're still kind of getting going, no pun intended, but our go groups, I think it's a great idea, the opportunity to, to go and serve in our community through our, our small group format. A great, a great win there. So a lot of things we have to celebrate from last year, things kicking off. We have a lot to look forward to. I want to share a little bit more budget-wise with you. I don't normally do this on a Sunday, but I'm just like, we're authentic. Let's go. So we do have a little bit of, on the downside, in the last seven, uh, five to seven years, our ideal minimum. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, right? Ideal minimum. What does that mean? It means like... Um, kind of, it's not a survival level minimum, but it is what we budget in order to accomplish the things that we're doing and want to. We've, we've budgeted about $620,000 and these are approximates each of the last five years. But, um, last year in 2022, we only brought in 540,000 in general ties and offerings. That means we've had to trim things back in our budget this year. We did have reserves and things like that, that we were, um, that made it able for us to weather the storm, but we lost all those this last year. So we, we have seen a significant reduction. I don't know if it's economic or whatever, but I want to say this. I really appreciate those of you that, that have continued to support us through the years. We don't say it often enough, but really appreciate your guys' generosity with us as a church. But just so you know, we are looking at making some trim uh, this year, trimming back. So after reflecting on those things, I start thinking about, okay, what's the future look like? Where are we going as a church? And I want to share with you a couple of things um, that are significant when we talk about the future of the church. And it's really always in my mind, it ends up summarized under this phrase. God's called us to be a storehouse church. From even before I arrived, God was speaking that over this church. So we're talking clear back in the mid-90s, right? God has called us to be a storehouse church. What does that mean? It is that idea of collecting people and resources and gifting and training and having an impact on the world around us. My long-term vision, and I don't, I don't think I made it up, I think it's what God has sown in us prophetically, is to be a storehouse church, a place where people are trained and equipped and launched out into the world. I think of a greenhouse. Just imagine this. I, I love the greenhouse concept. That this could be a place where people can come and grow and find fruitfulness. People that will tend and help them grow. Invest in their development. That's what God has called us to do. That's what we have our sights set on building. There are lots of other ways we could talk about it. Oftentimes I picture an engine. God is putting the pieces of an engine together. And what he's going to do is he's going to produce disciples. Our mission is to make disciples, learners, people that are growing and developing and doing stuff in the world around them. And we need to keep setting our sights on that. What are some of the things we do to do that? Small groups, 
We're kicking off um, growth track. We used to have a, what we call growth track. It was a 101, a 201, 301, 401. We're relaunching that so that you guys have an option for people that you're working with to say, hey, I know a journey that you can take to grow. And so we're going to have a six-week course called 201, which is going to be based on biblical foundations, the purple book. We've got uh, 301, which is going to be about strengths and gifts. You'll see those in your menu when you grab one on the way out today. So we're making decisions about how to become more fruitful, how to be who God has called us to be. And I want to encourage you and challenge you as well. Consider who you are in that journey and process. Do you see the vision God has for the future of the church? I got to let you know too before we wrap up this morning about several changes uh, that are coming this year besides the growth track. And and, uh, we also, we've made some adjustments to our children's ministry structure. And uh, we've had some transition with our leadership team and things are moving around. But we've also brought on Julia Hayes as a kids ministry assistant. She's working part-time here to take care of some of the logistics. But we've made Julie Swanson the director of kids ministry. Julie, would you? She's standing at the back wall there waving. And she's going to turn bright red because you all looked at her. But she is uh, the director of our MHCC Kids. She's taking leadership of that. And I really appreciate Julie and her willingness and her heart for the kids. Because we disciple kids. We don't babysit them. We disciple them. You're learning curriculum. You're singing songs. There's teaching. There's fellowship. And I mean, that's such a valuable thing. So we've made that adjustment. Uh, We want to, I just want to mention something as well. That MyMHCC, the place where all of our scheduling, all of our contact information, um, all uh, all the giving stuff for the church is all on there. You're registered on there, most of you. I would encourage you uh, to update your information on there. We got a lot of Christmas cards back with wrong addresses, right? We got to go in there and update our addresses and phone. Put your picture in there because I forget your name. And sometimes I'm like, who? And then I'll go in there and I'll, look, who's who? You know, and you can do that too. You have access to all of that. So through my MHCC, update some of that. We're going to want to push some of that. Um. Boy, there's so many things. I could just keep going. I'm just going to have to continue talking about some of this next week. But you guys, it boils down to this. And my family's going to laugh because I just said it boils down. Yeah, come on, dads. Do you have that thing you always say at home that your kids make fun of you about? I always say it. Well, it boils down to this. And my family goes, oh, brother. God has vision for you. He has mission for you. God has vision for us, Mount Helena Community Church. He has vision and mission for us to accomplish. And it takes every little joint in that fishing net, every single individual, just taking steps of development, growing in relationship with Christ in order to make that happen. Would you stand with me, please? This morning... Like every Sunday morning, we'll have a prayer team over here on my left that would love to pray with you. If you're really needing a touch from God or you want to submit something for others to pray about with you, they would love to pray with you. So please don't miss that opportunity to do that. Lord, I come before you this morning, God, asking for wisdom, 
God, asking for inspiration and vision for myself and for everybody here. God, that we would continue to lay hold of the mission that you've given us, the fruitfulness that you're calling us to, the church that you're building us into. Lord, that that we could accomplish much in our community, in our region, and in the nations. God, that we could be a storehouse, a collection of people and resources that can have an impact wherever you are calling us to work. Father, I pray for every individual that even after all of this talk this morning, they're still struggling with insecurity and insufficiency and inadequacy. That God, you would be right there with them, reminding them of the truth, telling them about who they are, showing about who you are and who they are according to your word. God, I pray you'd be motivating us to live out this mission. It's not easy. It's hard work. And it's challenging. But Lord, as we march into 2023, Lord, help us to continue to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue the earth and to rule over it, to be good stewards, fruitful and powerful in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mount Helen Community Church. Have a great rest of the day and week, and we'll see you back next week.